Turn It Up, a podcast from the team at Kapia, celebrating community, the things that matter to them and all the things in between. We have real conversations with real people about real issues, from food and housing security, social and economic participation, a stable and healthy environment, and inclusive design and planning. Today, we're going to be having a conversation about mental health. Just before we begin that conversation, though, I'd just like to pause and acknowledge that we are gathered on the lands of the traditional custodians. We're meeting on different lands here, and I just want to pay respects to elders past and present and emerging and thank them for their care for country thus far. And may we also learn and continue that care for country. It's lovely to be here with you both. The conversation we're having today is around mental health. It's just to have a general exploration, an open conversation that can expand our thinking and possibly lead to some fresh insight. And so I might begin by asking you both to introduce yourselves so that we have a sense of who we're speaking to today. Achol, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Achol Cook. I am a South Sudanese uh, young woman who was raised in Australia. I'm an inspiring advocate for South Sudanese young people. And, you know, I recently completed my studies in youth work. So my hope is to make real and effective change within my community. One of my biggest goals includes opening up safe spaces for young people who are, you know, South Sudanese in particular, to be able to have a healthy and open dialogue around issues affecting them. So that includes systemic racism and mental health. And that's a little bit about me. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. And Emily? That was such a concise and beautiful introduction to Troll. Mine will definitely not be. I'm so sorry for the rant that's going to happen. But it's lovely to meet you both. My name's Emily. My pronouns are they, them. I'm calling in from Solomon Warrandry land today, but I'm originally from the land of the Wadjuk Noongar people over in WA. I started volunteering in the mental health space when I was about 12. And I started volunteering because I had my own experiences with mental health challenges and recovery and really wanted to help give back to the communities that really helped me as well. I think it's that sort of like shared narrative and shared experience that really drives me and first got me involved in this space. Nowadays, I work in what's called like lived and living experience spaces, where we use our own experiences of mental health challenges recovery to kind of inform service design and delivery and policy improvements. And that takes a number of different forms. So I sit on a couple of different boards and committees of management, including the peak consumer body in um, Victoria, Vimiac, and a couple of different boards of like the queer arts organization, Midsummer, and the Center for Multicultural Youth. I think for me, one of the biggest things about mental health and well-being is that I love to take a intersectional lens and in looking at mental health and well-being because the way that I was brought to learn about mental health was from a very clinical lens. My parents are refugees and migrants and they didn't really have an understanding of mental health. And I think particularly in Australia, my understandings of mental health were primarily with like very clinical and very rigid lenses. And I've come to learn that it's very intersectional. It's lots about like holistic well-being and how different types of systemic inequalities can affect us and also affect our opportunities to have support and access to things that really make our life meaningful. So that's what I'm really passionate about. I identify as someone that's non-binary and queer and young and culturally diverse, but also I'm autistic as well, so have a hidden disability. Let me begin with the first question, which is what does it mean 
to be mentally healthy today? For me, I think the way that I was brought into it, as I was alluding to before, is that I feel like mental illness and like mental health is kind of like, I was taught it was like ticking certain boxes on like a diagnostic criteria or like certain things in life that you had to have. And I've learned that it's very much not like that. It's very, at least in my perspective and many perspectives of my peers that I work with, it's about living a life that is meaningful to you and having access to opportunities and resources where you feel supported, fulfilled, and live a life that you want to keep living. I think because of that, it's so it's so up to the individual and you really cannot be classified and just set like diagnostic criteria or set lists or can be satisfied with any sort of one size fits all remedy. I think for me, that means like being able to be accepted regardless of my appearance, my identity, my background, my experiences, and being able to just be able to just be me in a lot of spaces. Cause I think that's something that I thought was almost impossible growing up was always told that I was like too complex or too different. But I think now being really mentally healthy is seeing those differences as opportunities and parts of beauty as well and embracing them as part of myself. Thank you for sharing that, Emily. Wow. So from my perspective, growing up, we haven't had this type of dialogue around mental health. Growing up, it was if you have any mental health issues or anything that is affecting your mental health is to kind of just suck it up and to just be grateful that you are not in a war-torn country anymore and that, you know, you have all these opportunities, like you should just be happy. So I didn't really get a chance to understand what it really meant to be uh, mentally healthy because, you know, for a long time I was not, but I didn't recognize that, or at least I didn't get a chance to have these type of conversations and to, yeah, better understand it. But I think now being the age that I am, I've learned a lot and, you know, being surrounded by the people that I have been surrounded by, as well as, you know, my course, uh, Youth Work, it's allowed me to, you know, gain a a lot more understanding around it. So I now know that with mental health, one of the most important things from my perspective is having support and having people around you to be able to yeah, express yourself openly in a you know safe, comfortable environment without fear of being judged or ridiculed for how you are feeling and to also be validated for how you're feeling because you know we are human beings. We're we're gonna have so many forms of emotions that just flow through us, you know, we should be able to recognize that, but also talk about it without having to go into like a little hole or like keep it in, inside of us, you know? Yeah. I think having people around you that are supportive, that, you know, actually are willing to understand and to listen is just so important and it contributes to being mentally healthy. But that's my take on it. (laughs) I love how much of your answer focused on like how it is around the person. It's building those environments and those supports and structures rather than it is like a person's like individual mental health, if that makes sense. Like it's changing, yeah, the environment in which you plant the flower and not the flower itself. One of the ideas or assumptions that I was bringing into this conversation was this kind of like questioning, is it really possible to be mentally healthy in the world today? Because 
you know, when you look around and the challenges that we face, what is mental health within that context? But the answers that you have both given and the frameworks that you've provided, yeah, one shifting away from the individual to see it as part of the holistic environments that we're a part of, but also how we live a life of fulfillment and make meaning and bring our full selves and our full diverse selves is actually, yeah, that's a much more expansive, meaningful understanding of mental health. A second question I would like to explore with you both is you've both referred to the multiple identities that make you who you are and they're all precious. And so, you know, given the multiple identities that we bring, what does this mean for how we look at intersectionality and what does this mean for how we look at culture and what does this mean for how these things all relate to mental health? Honestly, I feel like the first time I was able to talk about any part of my like diversity other than like just talking about mental health through the lenses of depression and anxiety of being like the really surface level easier to talk about things. It felt like I could only talk about one sort of aspect, whether it be being a young person, being a culturally diverse person, being a queer person, being a gender diverse person. It was like really siloed. And I think intersectionality for me is when those sorts of experiences lock and collide it's not just the addition of them it's how they amplify and they catalyze each other so like my experience of being culturally diverse affects my mental health because you know similar to you a child like my my parents came from a culture where like mental health is like not spoken about either because it's not believed in or because it's like kind of a luxury that they didn't have at the time like they were just trying to survive fight wars and like just survive I think that's something that was really hard and having to like educate not just myself about it, but unlearn a lot of things that were intergenerational that my parents had to unlearn with me. But then there's also cultural implications of like my culture is explicitly homophobic all of the time and having to identify within myself, like how I actually sit within that and lots of feelings around shame and guilt and how that impacted my experiences of whether it be depression or whether it be eating disorders or gender dysphoria. It's really important to see where those sorts of things lock and collide. And I think we really can't take a one-size-fits-all lens to mental health, nor can we take like a, oh, you know, Emily is culturally diverse. Let's just give them the culturally diverse, like appropriate treatment. There's like so much more into that. Like I have a disability as well. I might not be able to financially afford the treatment. I might not have the literacy to understand the treatment. My preferred communication might be a different way. You have to really tailor it to the individual and give really flexible options. I think that that's what it means to have a really intersectional approach and understanding of mental health supports and well-being is when we really just ask a person, like, how can we best support you? What's the best way that we can really work around you and build an environment that you actually want to live in? Not how can we best like fit this person to our mold and try to make them like this cookie cutter version of mental health? For me, when I think about intersectionality and the idea of identity, you know, for so long, I thought it was like, you've got one. And that's because of how I've been brought up. It's like, either I am, you know, a South Sudanese woman, or I am Australian, (laughs) you know, because I was brought up here. So it's like, I'm expected to behave a certain way because of how I come across a certain people, instead of me being able to just be all these different things that I am, like these different things that make up me. It has made it incredibly difficult to accept myself because it's like, who am I, you know? 
I resonate with what you said about like, you know, not quite fitting in between like whether you're a South Sudanese here or whether you're Australian here. And it's very similar in my experience of like having to navigate the different identities, like which one do you choose at which point? And there's lots of like switching and it's really hard to kind of realize like, oh, I can be just in that weird middle point. I can be that weird gray, but it's, yeah, it's, it's so hard to kind of resolve that within yourself that it's okay. And to find safe spaces to be that. Yeah, exactly. It's this constant thinking that goes on in your mind where it's like, who am I really? Because you can't be a certain person to a particular group of people. It's like they see you as this, so that's how you have to be. But then when you hang out with or like present yourself to other people, they see you as something else. With you know a lot of South Sudanese people, that's something that they struggle with right now. Is you know the, the ones that were either born here or raised here is this concept of them you know losing their identity of being South Sudanese because you have adopted this Western culture. For me, I definitely felt like I had to tick certain boxes or like be something enough, like yeah. culturally diverse enough or like queer enough and stuff like that. And it's not. I think the concept of intersectionality, at least for me, has really been able to shed a lot of that and just fit into my own category, like the Emily category. And that's okay. And that's enough. I think that that's, it's allowed for so many more different types of things to come together rather than just like discrete boxes of you're either with us or with them. And it's okay to just kind of be in the middle of all of it. It's part of the challenge and part of our work now is that we, you know, we're almost conditioned to sort of see people and see things as one and not another. You know, we have to learn the ways in which we see, you know, it's like anything. It's not one thing or another. It serves many, many different purposes all at the same time, many different identities all at the same time. But we need to sort of learn how to how to see things and accept things, people and the natural world around us in that multiplicity. But it's hard because we've been, you know, we live in this world that conditions us in this particular way. So that exactly we sort of give people a primary identity and we're so much more than that. We do everything a disservice in that. And the other thing I wanted to say, Achol, is I think your searching for words is this process in reality because there are no words for this. You're working it out. People are working it out as we go. That's the honest reflection. It's an exploration and it's a struggle. And thank you for being willing to do that with us. I was just going to also add on, I feel like this confusion with identity, this is where, you know, the concept of imposter syndrome comes in. So, you know, in certain spaces, yeah, you feel like you are not meant to be there because of who you are or like how people are perceiving you. Personally, I struggle a lot with that in my professional life because I always feel like I have to be 110% on point because I can't mess up, you know, there's a preconceived idea of who a person is before you've even like met them or actually had a conversation with them. I feel like people's assumptions leads you to feel like, okay, well, I have to play this character and be completely perfect in order for me to be accepted, but I cannot be myself. And then that again, affects your mental health because it's, you're not living in your, you know, authentic truth, like who you really are, you know, you're playing this character and it's, it's exhausting. It's tiring. You just feel quite defeated because you know, that's not you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's not you. And, and where do you find a resting place? Exactly. Exactly. 
you know, because when you get home <laughs> after a long day of playing this character, like you've got these thoughts running through your mind, you're not resting. You're not, you're not able to just be in this calm state. It's, it's this constant state of anxiety. People will have different expectations of you. Exactly. Yeah. For anybody who's working with communities, so, you know, we're a community engagement company, but for anybody across the variety of sectors who who are engaging with community, whether it's for bringing in community voice or whether it's getting feedback on something or whether it's around building relationships, what should we be mindful of? What should we be taking into consideration so that we can make sure that we are able to welcome people in their full selves and not as these sort of partial fragmented identities that yeah, that do a disservice to them and leave them feeling uncomfortable? Honestly, I think it's asking that exact question that you just asked, but to the people that you're consulting with, regardless of whichever project. And I'll talk about it from a, firstly, like an organizational project management lens, and then from like an individual, what can you do as just a general person? I think organizations should abide by the kind of premise or maxim of nothing about us without us and really ensure that people with lived and living experience are engaged in every single part of the project delivery, which isn't just the design of it or delivery of it or the implementation, but the evaluation and the complete full circle life of the project as well. And there's this really lovely engagement continuum that I reference a lot in my work called the IIP2 continuum. And it kind of stems from like informing, which is like the traditional dominant power, often just telling the less dominant power about what's happening all the way up to the other end, which is the less dominant power coming in and being able to take full leadership of everything that's coming out and determining the final outcome of a project, which is something that that's called co-production, sometimes called co-design. I think that it's really important that we move towards that in a lot of different sectors. But on an individual level, I think my kind of like three main steps is first kind of learn about yourself. Because I think a lot of us have our own experiences, but are limited by them. And we can't expect us to learn about other people until we're sure about who we are and where our sort of knowledge ends as well and where someone else's experience begins. And so I think checking your own privilege and checking your own oppression and knowing like where you sort of sit within this, what triggers you as well, and where you can relate to other people and how you can understand yourself is the first step. And the next step is to really hold that and listen to other people. So ask that question exactly like you asked. Just ask people like, how can we best support you? How can we best welcome you into our space and make you a leader in this? And then the third step is speaking up and showing up. And that is sometimes advocating for people that don't have a voice. But I think a lot more of what I want to see is people in traditional power-making systems stepping back and actually making room for other people to step forward, speak for themselves in their own words. And that's what I think is like, it's so powerful when, you know, you don't just see people being amplifiers and elevating other voices, but they actually just put the person there and they can speak for themselves. It's it's so powerful, the storytelling and the changes that can come through with that. I think it's important to ask these questions to the people that we are trying to support, to ask them what kind of support they actually need instead of making assumptions or, you know, yeah, like assuming that we know better because we certainly do not. It's important to, yeah, open up that safe, comfortable space for these people to be able to express what it is that is concerning them, what it is that they need. I think it is important to actually engage these people in conversation and give them that power 
Thank you. I think I was just thinking there was one thing you said, Emily, at the beginning about, you know, understanding myself and the other person. And I was just thinking that's a there's a beautiful reflection in that around this idea of, you know, well, there's me and there's you, but where do I end and where do you begin? Because actually, you know, when we take a step back, we don't know the shared lived experiences, the shared commonalities and the shared differences that combine us in these ways. So actually this sort of very, it's the same with the intersectionality. Well, I'm me and you're you or you're this identity or this identity or this identity. It's actually like, no, there's all of this these spaces in between these things and how do we how do we be alive to those and how do we then be able to celebrate those? 100%. Like you could lump three of us into one category, different categories, two of us into certain categories, but I think that our experiences will be incredibly unique to each of us. Like we're each the experts of our own experience. And I think that's something that I see a lot in within like help giving professions is that people are often so well-intentioned and they really want to help someone else but then they leave like a little bit too much of themselves within that. And it's just a little bit of unconscious bias or a tiny bit of like privilege that they just haven't checked yet. And it's not at all malicious, but it just leads to a bit of harm that comes out of it in the end because they're just not able to distinctly say like, this is actually a part of me that I'm projecting onto you. And I think, you know, that there are definitely some, some malicious bits where people say like, I think I know better, but I think most of the time people know that they don't know better, but they're just not really aware of when they're doing those sorts of practices. So it's really important to critically analyze ourselves and say like, actually, no, I don't, I don't know best in this situation. I can really learn from you and just leave all of that at the door. Yeah. And that's what you were saying, Achol, about that judgment. And, you know, so how to, for me as an individual, how do I be aware of the judgments that I carry? I might not be able to eliminate them, but with my awareness, I can then manage them and take responsibility for them as well. Did either of you have any closing comments or reflections that you'd like to to share with us? It's just really lovely to connect with people that are really passionate about this. And I think this is something that we can only really learn more about if we have more conversations about it. You said a troll, you know, you're struggling to find like certain language or certain things around things. I've only picked up bits of everything that I've shared through having these discussions with other people that have given me that language. Like I had absolutely no idea how to express any of my experiences. I used art a lot of the time. Like it's very nonverbal for me, but I think when we have these sorts of things and we connect with people and we hear someone say like, a certain phrase or a certain word and we're like that that clicks and that makes sense that resonates with me I think that's something that I'm really keen to see a lot more people kind of like really resonate with and they seem like more confident and more okay with just being themselves and not trying to fit into someone else's narrative I really appreciate like how candid this conversation has been this has been an amazing opportunity. I feel like we definitely need to have more of these type of conversations. You can learn so much from having these conversations instead of trying to figure it out yourself or, you know, looking at, I don't know, like textbooks. It's better to have the actual conversation. It's, it comes down to that whole, you know, human connection thing. Yeah, you can just get so much out of a conversation when you create that safe space. I feel like both of you have done such a great job at doing that because I was filled with so much anxiety, but I'm grateful to have been here. I'm grateful to have stayed <laughs> and to have engaged in this conversation with you. And yeah, I hope we have more. I really do. It's really important. Thank you. Well, may this be the first of many conversations in this forum and in many other forums. 
You've been listening to Turn It Up from the team at Kapir. Listen, subscribe and follow us or feel free to get in touch at kapir.com.au. Thank you.